You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, the Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games, the war games, and beyond. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your illustrious host, Justin, and I'm here with my man of the hour, Jason. What's going on, guys? Uh, today we've got a treat for you guys. We are going to do a special Age of Sigmar episode. Uh, our other main host, Dan, um, has a lot of real estate and house prep to do. He's getting ready to sell his house, so he couldn't make it tonight. Um, so we've got two of our favorite people. One is the Lord of Blights himself, Matt. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And right from Nagash's embrace, we have Sergio. How you guys doing? All right. These two guys are some of my favorite people. Uh, I've been doing Age of Sigmar for, well, with Jason for just over a year and a half now, right, Jason? Yeah, just over a year and a half, yep. And uh, I think I met Matt and Sergio at a tournament almost a year to the day. Now, I played both of you in that tournament. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was in the March RTT, right? Yeah, you were my very first opponent I ever played in a tournament, Matt. Oh, wow. Well, I'm and sorry Sergio, you were number two. Yep, I remember. <laughs> I thought I was going to stomp a noob, and then it turned out to be a hell of a game. Yeah, yeah, that stupid model. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, <laughs> um, all right, so uh, let's kick it off with the Geek Week. Uh, Jason, do you want to start us? Uh, how was your Geek Week this week? Uh, it was uh, pretty pretty light um i was pretty busy with life real life and all that stuff but i did do um i'm building an ogre army and having a lot of fun with it and one of the approaches i'm using to basing uh well back up when i did my flesh eater quartz army i used a lot of like you know the uh expensive basing material that you can get from hobby shops and stuff and then uh, i think justin you keyed me off to a video uh what was the guy's name Oscar Lars? Yeah, Oscar Lars that uses a ridiculously simple <laughs> basing approach. I think even after we watched it, we both were like, duh, why didn't we why didn't we do that to begin yeah. with? Right. Right, I mean, exactly. Just using you can go to like Home Depot or Loging, buy a, a four four dollar bucket of uh of plaster, um, cement plaster, patchwork, yeah. right? So it's stuff you would like use to patch your sidewalk with. Four dollars for this giant thing, and you just slap that onto a base and push a little bit of rocks and pebbles into it when it dries, it totally looks awesome. I mean, it looks just like sand. You can paint it and terrain and everything. And it's like, gosh, I don't even know. It's probably like pennies for every base of material to put on it. So I spent a lot of time uh, kind of ca- uh, doing some basing. And I'm also, I made a couple bases at um, another friend uh, got me this idea. Um, I used to do a lot of casting with uh, Hearst art molds. If anyone's familiar with those, you can do a lot of terrain with those things. Um, and someone showed me how to actually make your own molds. So I made like three bases and I'm going to, uh, make a mold for them and start kind of casting with resin to kind of mass produce these bases so that it's easy to kind of have a good theme for my, my army. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Should be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like you had a good week. Yeah, man. Uh, Matt, how about you? How was your geek week? Uh, my geek week was pretty uh filled uh with age of sigmar hobby uh, i am currently sort of at the tail end of a very large um painting commission for one of our friends uh garrett for his uh, sylvaneth army and i'm currently working through um the one of the biggest one of the bigger models in the range actually a um and this theme is actually really unique 
Um, so Sylvaneth are, you know, sort of the living forest, sort of the epitome of, of life as we know it, trees um, and forest folk. And uh, I'm painting this army in the theme of a birch forest in, from the realm of Shaish, from the realm of death. So the epitome of life living in the realm of death. So that, it's been um, challenging from a thematic point of view and to sort of tell that narrative um, sort of uh, on, in, you know, through a paint scheme and through a, a, just a basing scheme and everything. So I've been painting a L'Oreal um, for that. And um, I did another commission for um, another friend for he needed tree men for his Blood Bowl team. So I converted a bunch of Kurnoff hunters to be um, for his tree men for his Blood Bowl team. So that was a lot of fun. I love Blood Bowl. I don't know if you guys have ever played it too much, but um, it kind of got me excited to to touch up some of my Wood Elf Blood Bowl team, which is... Um, which is really exciting. Um, I'm also working on a Caradron Overlords army for the upcoming ITC season, and um, I know I'm sure we'll talk about this in a in a bit uh, during the, uh, the segments. But um, the Warp Lightning Vortex is a great, great spell, and so I wanted to come up with something for uh, that was Caradron Overlords thing because they can access that spell. And so I decided to use the. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the 40k objective markers. Um, but they have an exterminatus device, which is essentially like this giant metal canister with just like a dozen pieces of TNT, st- like bombs strapped to it and like a timing device. And so I thought those would be perfect, like Caradron themed warp mm-hmm. lightning vortex. And then I just, I added a bunch of their like proximity mines to them. So it looks pretty sweet. So that sounds cool. Yeah. And I, and I sprayed about, I don't know almost 1500 points worth of Caradron with the lead belcher spray and just working through that, trying to get that ready for this ITC season. So I've been, uh, I've been a, a, a busy hobbyist this week. Nice. And for, for those of you that don't know, the Caradron overlords are like steampunk dwarves. So, you know, the whole like metallic bomb wires, gadgets theme is like right up, right up the alley. So I think that that's really awesome. It's like, it's really, it's this really cool, like, sort of in the fantasy setting, sort of a low tech, like lots of like, it's almost like, you know, aerosol, like compressed gas powered weapons. So Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, black, you know, black powder style, like low tech. So it's really interesting to have like a tech army in the fantasy setting. And it seems like it wouldn't work, but it really does, especially since dwarves are natural miners and are always like, you know, sort of into those natural resources and, and, and advanced. So yeah, it's really, really cool army. I'm loving it. Very cool. All right, Sergio, you're up. How was your geek week? Um, I didn't do much hobbying during the week because uh, I knew I had the tournament on Saturday. Yeah. So kind of saving up those family points until the very weekend. Uh, <laughs> but I did swing by uh, the store to pick up some paints, some uh, contrast paints to work on the flesh eaters a little bit more. Uh, I've been working hard on six flares. I want to get them up to like the very, very best I can. And um, so, yeah, I've just been using contrast paints to blend those guys out a little bit. And then um, Saturday was the RTT. Uh, I caught a ride with Garrett up there. It was about an hour and a half away. And, yeah, it was um, up in uh, was Maryland, a, right? Yeah, Bel Air. So, uh-huh. yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't ex- actually look at the map. But it was, a, it was funny because it was a tournament for the end of their slow-grow league of this store. So the half of the tournament was guys that started – they're locals, mm. and did a slow-grow league to 2,000 points. And then half was 
everyone from our area just hungry oh, no. for ITC points. Oh, <laughs> and no. so, um, but no, they turned out to be, uh, they, they were all a great bunch of guys. Um, and everyone, you know, everyone was great competitors. And so I ended up playing Garrett. No, who did I play? I played Evan first round. I lost to Evan by one wound. Like, I couldn't, he oh, killed no. my one guy. And so there was a very tight match. Um, then I played Garrett. Um, Garrett just kind of phoned it in because he had already lost one and we were playing a club mate the second round. And so I tabled Garrett, uh, but it was a fun game. And then I finally played someone I had never played before. Um, I think his name was Mike. I'm really bad with names. But he was playing Big Wah, which is, you know, you guys know, uh, yeah. just orcs. A bunch of orcs. Um, orcs on a big orc dragon with a, a mega, uh, mega boss on Moth Oh, nice. Okay. And uh, it was scary. It was really, really scary because I have three threats in my army, and he has six with the Violent Fury. He was playing Choppas so he could give out Violent Fury to yeah. three units for one command point. So he was just doing two command points every single battle round. But um, wow. with good screening, I was able to take it apart piece by piece, and uh, I ended up getting a win there to end up in fourth place. I got uh, I, I got squeaked out of third by strength of schedule. So um, it was a good tournament all in all. Nice. Very cool. Very good. So those of you that may not know, when, when uh, Sergio talks about playing Garrett, uh, Garrett is the creator slash owner of uh, Best Coast Pairings, which is an app that is kind of the de facto app in the ITC league, um, and even outside of ITC, for scheduling and running tournaments and creating pairings. Um, so it's, it's widely used in Age of Sigmar. So it's cool to have a guy like that in the local area that you know, can be part of the community and uh, can play games with them. Now, speaking, is... to, speaking to that, Jason, real quick, sorry to cut you off, Justin. Yeah, I just, pulled, I just pulled up the Best Coast Pairings app, and Sergio, you're right. You played Michael Melody. And if I want, and I know that because I can go back and look at that tournament. I can look at every single pairing for all three rounds. And um, I can also view everybody's list if I was curious about the winning list or the top Nurgle list or the top Caradron list or whatever. So um, if I wanted to look at Michael's list, like if you, you know, just it's just a really, really neat way to look at tournament data if you're looking to get into or get better in going to Age of Sigmar events. So, just really quickly, what does the ITC stand for again? I have no idea. Oh, International a, Tournament in, Circuit? I think it's Independent Tournament Circuit. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, because it's really used in the U.S., right? It's not really used overseas? No, it is used overseas. So, basically, it mm -hmm. originated when 40K was, okay. as a game, uh, globally was sputtering. And... Um, Frontline Gaming, which was a store slash commission paint, um, slash their own, like they were running their own tournaments, just to, took it upon themselves to create their own independent tournament circuit. And, um, and that ended up going global. And so now all of 40K uses the ITC. Like they don't listen to Games Workshop's missions or their rules packs, ITC comes up with a new rules pack every single year and new missions for 40K every single year. And so it basically saved 40K as a game and like uh, completely. And um, so it's embedded into 40K, basically. Uh, for Age of Sigmar, it's more of a thing of just coincidence that Garrett's here and other guys picked up and then all of us all together are using ITC um, kind of just by coincidence. Uh, 
the West Coast uses it because they're based out of the West Coast. So it's, you know, a lot easier to get access to it there. But yeah. Yeah. And it's ITC is not the only um, tournament circuit in Age of Signal. I think like a lot of like Texas uses a different one, right? Yeah. Texas has their own ranking system. The UK has their own ranking system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Australia. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it, you know, I mean, we, I think we've got a couple of listeners here, mostly RPG. So, you know, um, I'm not sure uh, that we've ever explained the ITC. So thanks for that explanation, Sergio. Yeah, it's um, just a ranking systems, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. And a way to track, you know, from tournament. It's not just a way to rank the actual tournament, but it's from tournament to tournament to tournament to determine over the course of a year who's had the best tournament year, right? So um, it's kind of nice. It's like it's almost a meta competition yeah what, what i'm I glad really we like... invited sergio because uh, if somebody had asked me that i've been like yeah it's just this league thing that has points and uh you get them when you play games <laughs> what, what, I, what i really like about the itc too another good aspect is that in order to be an itc event you uh, the the to has to um enforce the code of conduct which mm-hmm. is uses uh, yes. sort of sort of like a, re- a yellow card red card system if mm-hmm. you if your listeners are familiar with basically just like soccer i think that uses it where you there are certain rules that if you break them will um incur a yellow card and then i believe it's three yellow cards and it's a red card and that means you're disqualified from the event and then um you know if it's in a particularly egregious offense then you can either be you know have a, a ban depend you know depending on the to's discretion for either that event or possibly from itc events in general if it's like really bad like you know so like yellow card violations are like not uploading your list on time um you know maybe not having like a painted model or whatever (laughs) yeah and then like you know up to like you know cursing or yelling at a to can get you a red card or like Mm -hmm. violent physical violence against another um another player just stuff like that so what it does is it really keeps out the um you know the uh, bad actors that go to events and kind of you know, get upset or just looking to start trouble. And so there's enforceable mechanisms for TOs to really like make sure everybody has a good time at these events. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, as far as I go for my geek week, uh, I got super sick. I was supposed to play Sergio on Thursday, last Thursday, uh, came down with, uh, the flu, a really bad chest cold and ear infection. It was just a bad news bears week for me. Um, so, but you rallied, uh, I, I was actually joking with the doctor that the next step was pneumonia than Corona. So let's just bring it on, you know? So, um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, I spent most of my week continuing to play, uh, no man's sky. Cause I was just on the couch. So I've done a lot of work on that video game and I can just see what it's, what an amazing time suck that thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but then I did rally on Friday and I joined uh, Jason and two other friends and we played kind of a round Robin age of Sigmar game. Uh, I took my orcs out. I was also playing big log a little bit like the, I doubt it's the same list that Sergio played, but probably something a little bit similar. And uh, we ended up, uh, Having a lot of fun. I played against you guys. You'll appreciate this. Lincoln pulled out four Star Drakes for his. Um, oh my god! Yeah, four Star Drakes for his uh, Stormcast Eternals army. So he had four Star Drakes and then fifteen Liberators. That was his army and one little hound. I'm not gonna lie; it looked pretty awesome on the table. Yeah, 
But dude, the the orcs just had a field day with it. The oh, the, I'm sure the Gorgrunt has killed two of them, and the and the mega uh, the mega boss on the Minecraft killed two, and then the our boys just cleaned up. There was some dude in Canada who's been running a list where it's a, uh, the the character on Star Drake, Marathi, and Gotrek in like a Grand oh Alliance gosh. order army, and it's like, <laughs> man, I feel bad for the dude who draws him on three or the person who draws <sighs> him on three places of power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was fun. It, we had a great time. It had amazing Mexican food that night. Oh my and gosh, it was ridiculous. There's a restaurant up there you guys have got to go to. It's so good. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was basically my, my week. So, um, it was a good time, but, uh, before we really get into like talking about kind of the basis of age of Sigmar, let's, um, hit some of our news. Um, I pulled down a couple of headlines that caught my attention. The first one that I saw was that, um, labyrinth, you guys remember the, uh, mm-hmm. the good old David Bowie movie, David Bowie, Jennifer Connelly. Do you remember that Sergio, yeah. Matt? I do not. Oh, okay. I don't. Gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. Oh. All right. All right. Well, this is, uh, yeah, anyway, this is, Labyrinth? it was like Jim Henson. You don't remember Labyrinth? It was like Jim Henson oh. puppets, and like David Bowie was like David the Bowie. Guy. Anyway, I totally it, remember that movie. I totally yes. remember that movie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, um, but they've got a new role playing game that just came out, and you can get it on Amazon. And, um, it's, it sounds like, I mean, it's totally marketed to like the people who like have nostalgia trips, right. For the eighties and labyrinths and stuff like that. But I mean, it's got, it's like made for two to five people. It's got like artwork and stuff that's totally built based on the film. Um, it, it looks ridiculous. Uh, you got like custom dice that comes with it. Like, yeah, the uh, Really, really interesting thing. So, if you're into Labyrinth, if you're into like like Dark Crystal, Jim Henson stuff, uh, you should check it out. It's on Amazon, ready to go right now. So, yeah, I just uh, googled it. I definitely have never seen this before, but um, is it kid friendly? <laughs> well, it, you know, your next geek week. It is kid friendly, actually. It's okay. totally weird, and it's a total mind trip, but it is kid friendly. All right, that then. one dude that looks like the Gaunt Summoner, right? Am I thinking of that? Yes, like, that's that would be <laughs> David yes. Bowie. yeah Uh, yes uh let's see uh for those of you who love wolfenstein um wolfenstein the board game my hands are up in the air right now (laughs) (laughs) wolfenstein the board game is coming to kickstarter so um the thing that kind of caught my eye with this one is a i mean i love wolfenstein who doesn't like smashing nazis in the face right um, especially like, you know, nowadays or, or like, uh, you know, post-World War II alternate universe, like mechanized Nazis. Like it's just good, good, clean fun for all the kids. So, um, <laughs> so Wolf, and... if you know anything about Wolfenstein, it's really not good, clean fun. No, 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 no not at all. It was so... actually banned in Germany. Like the original one was banned in Germany, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hardcore. But they've got like pictures of the miniatures, like these, uh, the Wolfenstein board game, and these things are gorgeous. Apparently, they've got they hired an in-house um, sculptor and design artist, and they've got a whole in-house production facility for their miniatures. And one of the things that caught my eye is one of the uh, the guy, the main the main guy here. 
He said, uh, that this is the campaign and project manager. He said, we are second only to Games Workshop. Ooh. In fact, we are, in fact, the only company apart from Games Workshop that's capable of creating miniatures for board games and war games in plastic in Europe. No one else can do this. Shots so, fired. Yeah, I thought that that was kind of cool. Like, they, they actually, instead of outsourcing all of their miniatures to China like everybody else does, right, for these Kickstarter things, they decided to to invest in the artists, invest in the sculptors, and invest in the machinery to make it in-house. So it makes me wonder, Jason, what do you do you think that that would increase the um, time to get your Kickstarter or improve it? I think absolutely, because now they, they're they not going to have the same production scale that some of those uh, overseas will, you know, yeah. unless... I just don't see them having the same level of uh, production scale that they would have, you know, and it's the issue we talked about last time where um, if you plan for a hundred thousand dollars of revenue and you kickstart or something and you get a million dollars, you now have to produce a million dollars worth of revenue of products. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to, if you don't scale up your production facilities to account for that, then that turns into time delay. Yeah, and you exactly. and you can't capitalize on the buzz that you created because you can't physically produce the the, the product. Yeah, two <laughs> years later, your game comes out, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and 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 every everybody's like, gone. oh yeah, I kind of remember that, and yeah. yeah but those in pla- those plastic injection molds are not cheap. No, mm-hmm. no. So I I think it's pretty. If you can, if you get a chance to look at the. Um, uh, Wolfenstein Kickstarter pre-launch. These minis are amazing. They've got um, uh, they've got uh, Adolf and Mecha Hitler too in there as the bad guys. I don't know and, why the, uh, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Dude, so it, me... it looks awesome. One one dude, one of the protagonists is literally like Spartan kicking pose. Like he's awesome. literally like set up to literally just go Spartan kick and not see in the, in yeah. the chat. It's awesome. So let me ask a question, Justin. Why do you think they're doing this? I mean, why not just get your sculpt, get your good sculpts, and send the sculpts out to be manufactured somewhere else? So I think there's two. Th- I think there's two things to this. One, they, I think that they're tuned into the, some of the same things that we've been saying, which is when you're outsourcing a lot of your models, it's hard mm-hmm. to scale, and quality control is not. It, you you have zero quality control over it, right? And um, it takes a while. You know, you have zero control over the process um, once you outsource it. Um, and, and then by doing that, by setting this whole thing up, I think that this is just the first of many games that they want to do. And they're going to be able to scale up. And, I mean, basically, they're looking at cool minis or not. You know, they're looking at the Zombicides. They're looking at the uh, Song of Ice and Fire. They're looking at all those games that they did. And they're saying, if we invest in the machinery and the, pr- the production, we can do it ourselves. Why, why, why can't we do this all ourselves? And do you think CMON, um, does CMON uh, use external sources? Yes. They definitely do. So, so the, here's a point, then. I, I, CMON makes good quality minis. They do. So it is possible to, you know, and they make large production scales. Right. So, I mean, right there is a case in point of an example of how you can, um, ex, you know, exfil your, your data to have ramped up good quality production. So I'm just, I just don't know why you would want to do this in house. Well, well, what's, what's, so doing it yourself 
it's the startup cost, right? Isn't that isn't that the big like barrier to entry? Like it's those plastic injo- injection mold things are really expensive. Mm-hmm. Usually, you don't have the artists and designers to like in house to to change things if need be. You know what I mean? You're going back and forth, um, but that's expensive too. That's overhead, right? So I think that they're I think that they're taking a risk and making a jump and trying to like. So we want to control this from the get-go and speed up the process and, you know, be able to pivot when we need to. Yeah, I'm curious to see how, how it plays out. Um, if, you know, if they, having full control over something is good, I think where it might become difficult is uh, in the scale. And, uh, you know, if they start to hit, if they start to hit issues, um, um, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to roll out changes how are they going to, um, you know, adjust their time scales if they're restricted to the tool sets that they have in their own house? I don't know. We'll see. It's an interesting approach. You know, it, it's economies of scale is very powerful. It's uh, an economic principle that has existed for, a, you know, ever basically. And yeah. it seems like if you want to pull it in house at this stage, you're kind of fighting against that. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Uh, I really want to play the game because I love yeah. Wolfenstein. Yeah. And yeah, looking forward to it coming out one way or the other. Uh, let's see. The last bit of news isn't really news. It's just a uh, suggestion. If coronavirus has got you down, uh, <laughs> one game. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I had to. If coronavirus has got you down, one game that you could try playing is Pandemic. I knew where that was going. <laughs> Get these jokes out now before it's an actual pandemic that we're all like, why were we joking about that? Right. Yeah. You you and uh, several of your friends can try to contain a global virus that has started in China and spread to the rest of the world <clears throat> and see how you can. Maybe you can compare yourself to the Trump administration and see how well you can or cannot contain it. So, you know, uh, good but times all around. not too many of your friends. Yeah, not too many of your friends. <laughs> you don't want to have a large <laughs> gathering. No, that's right. Virtually. So, actually, uh, pandem- a pandemic has come a long way since I first played it a few several years ago. Um, they've got, like, new seasons that, like, um, you know, almost is like a campaign style mm-hmm. type of thing, and uh, apparently it's gotten rave reviews on that. So, um yeah, I mean, it is kind of one of those things where we're in a, you know, where I guess art is imitating life a little bit and you can kind of play a game that, that mimics it, I guess. You know, my favorite version of Pandemic is uh, The Reign of Cthulhu. I feel like that one has a really fun theme uh, and, and it goes well. I liked it way better than kind of the original skin. Is that where like there's a cult out there that's actually mm-hmm. trying to like spread the virus or whatever? Yeah, there's a cult that's tr- well, I think it's like madness instead of a virus, but yes. Okay. The cult Isn't is it- trying to spread it and you're you're constantly trying. It's so the the system is basically the same, right? It's yeah. kind of spreading and you're trying to contain it in the different quadrants of the board. But the skin works really well. The concept of, you know, virus versus madness uh, works very well too. So a fun version, if you ever come across it, give it a shot. Wasn't there a video game where you were trying to spread like either, maybe it, maybe it was more like a fungus, maybe it was more like the flood from Halo, like a fungus like infection. It was, I think it was called Spore. Was it called Spore? It was the name where you, had, where you tried to play the role of a, some sort of disease or some sort of pathogen and you were 
you were trying to spread, oh, you know, across yeah. the. You were the disease, right? Yes. It, and Ooh, it was, was I played it for a short, I think it was called Spore, actually. It okay. didn't really have a huge, like, it kind of was, had this, like, internet buzz. And then I think a couple people played it, but it, it kind of fizzled out. So, um, but it, it seemed really, really interesting. And I've thought about that in recent, you know, weeks as we, ta- as the coronavirus is sort of in the news cycle constantly. Yeah. So, so was it a mobile game, Matt? No, I think it was a PC game. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's not Spore. Spore was the name of that um, of a game from like I don't know, two thousand. I'm looking up now, two thousand eight, which is where you kind of you started with this weird creature that started uh, kind of like at the at the it was an evolution based game uh, where you created a creature and they kind of evolved and you kind of messed with the evolution so you create this funny creature. But the one you're talking about, I can't place the name of it either. But yes, you can find that game on Steam. I was actually looking at that game recently, which is funny why I can't find it. And it's not called Outbreak or anything easy to search right. like that. But yeah. yeah. But yes, it was. Uh, I remember seeing that. Good I'm going to find it here in the next minute or two. But anyways, yeah. Well, uh, I think that's all the kind of news items we have. So, um, well, I was really excited. Yeah, that, I was really excited about they uh, showcased the new Gazcol Magurk Thraka model for the Orcs today for Warhammer 40k. I, okay. That was the that was the game that started my my geekdom back in uh, high school in about the 2001 2000 um, 2000 time frame uh, back in like third edition of Warhammer 40k. Um, I'm a longtime orc player for the 40k version of the game, and um, I remember when that Gazcol Magurk Thraka model came out during the Armageddon campaign, and it is the current sculpt up until today, and that, that thing is amazing and god help me if it draws me back into 40k somehow balancing two game systems but man i was just looking at the thing and in my i'm sitting at my de- my work computer and looking at the thing and in my head i'm just like screaming wah i'm like oh my god i'm gonna get back into 40k again it's a cool awesome. looking model yeah it looks it's... very good so, so the game i was excited to see that Plague Inc. Plague Inc. Yes. Plague Inc. Yep. And yep. it looks like it is available on mobile now. I see that. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I just looked it up. That is awesome. It's like a little 8 bit game kind of thing, right? Uh, uh, I think it's like a map based okay. world. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, see, this is what I thought that other pandemic game was because I played this about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're just a virus trying to get mutate as much as you can. You're just a virus trying to make your way. Yeah, just trying to make your way. And then, like, in, my, in my Google searches for like this like game where you're a disease trying to spread, the story in the in the Washington Post virus games are going viral as the coronavirus spreads. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I'm telling you, man. We're all month and a half from now. We're gonna look back and like, why didn't we take this seriously? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Well, Matt, you kind of touched on a little bit, um, and what I wanted to do was take the opportunity for at least you guys. I think Jason and I have already told our story a little bit of how we got into Age of Sigmar, but um, maybe have you and Sergio talk about like how you got into Age of Sigmar. Like, what do you think the appeal is? Like, why do people play this game? That kind of thing. Uh, do you want me to start or Sergio? Well, let's start with Sergio. Um. I guess I started like like the typical story, like around 
I don't know. I was I was always into fantasy stuff and sci-fi things. Um, and I think me and my friends just walked into a hobby shop one time, like around fourteen, and just picked out whatever we thought was the coolest. I picked up dark elves, and um, somebody else picked up dwarfs, and we just started buying models. Now I have no idea how I was buying these models back then because <laughs> I was a fourteen-year-old, and they were still just like they were still very expensive models back then. And so um, I got it. Uh, I got my brothers into it, and then shortly after that, uh, I discovered other things, and so I stopped playing till about three years ago when um, I was talking to my cousin Julio, and he was like, hey, you remember Warhammer? And I was like, yeah, and uh, he said the whole world got blown up, they restarted everything, and there's a brand new setting. And so um, I picked up on the lore a little bit, went in and got a box, and uh, started all three of me and my cousin and his brother started all picked up models and we had a little painting competition among ourselves um, with our very first models. Uh, and yeah, I just, I got, I got, I guess I got hooked on Age of Sigmar then because I only have the time for one, really one game, video game, whatever you want to call it at, at a time. And so um, yeah, I put all, down StarCraft. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was heavy into StarCraft. Um, I put that away. I have Monster Hunter World for PS4, um, and that's off and on, which when I don't have time for it from Age of Sigmar, but Age of Sigmar has been my main game for about three years now, uh, I guess, I would say, because of the um, the social aspect of it. Like, yeah. uh, painting is fun. Like, if I get home and I'm watching TV with my wife, I can paint and feel productive and feel like I didn't waste you know, an hour or two just watching TV, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, While you're gaining brownie points. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and then tournaments, going to tournaments has been the most fun for me, just because you get to see people, uh, lots of people meet new people. And um, yeah, so for me, it's been, I haven't, I've done less uh, local hobbying, like uh, playing in, lo- in the local stores, uh, and more just, uh, getting tournaments in whenever I can, uh, just because I guess I like the competitive nature of it, but also uh, seeing everyone and just talking to everyone in between rounds of how they're doing and all that kind of stuff has been a ton of fun for me. But I also like the painting aspect of it too. So I don't know. I guess anything that I get into, I try to push myself as far as I can. So uh, yeah, that's been what it's been for me so far. Yeah, nice. so I I played Flesh Eater Courts. That was my first army. And I remember uh, I started getting these facebook messenger uh messages from this girl <laughs> and i'm oh. like who's this girl and she's like hey jason what do you think of this list and she'd give me a flesh eater quartz list and i'd be like oh uh, okay uh it looks looks good um you know i'm like who is this person finally i realized that sergio uses his wife's facebook account <laughs> and yeah, I, was say, oh, I, to me. I am social and- media free <laughs> and so I've gotten I have to use her Facebook Messenger account just for Age of Sigmar stuff. Yeah. Well, what's funny is I very quickly realized you sent me a list I was like, yeah, it's a cool list, but I do this and that. And I very quickly realized that no, I should I should be sending him my lists and he should be giving me advice cuz dude, you're you just you have done really good grabbing that army and and really embracing the strategies behind it and it's been cool to watch uh watch you in uh, out at uh, LVO and other places. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, you were the first person I hit up because 
Well, you've played James. You played James before, and uh, you've played Garrett's brother. And so everyone that I've talked to has always said that you were really good, and every game came down to the wire. And um, yeah, so you were the first person I went to because I got Flesh Eater Courts. The reason why I started Flesh Eater Courts, and for people who don't know the army, it's um, it's basically. Uh, cannibal ghouls it's it's leaning into the ghoul uh trope of uh vampires mm-hmm. and so yeah. everything's around um a ghoul king which is a vampire you know a ghoul vampire so they're all you know hunched over and gangly like and all of their followers are like that as well and so um i bought the army a little bit before lvo for like an entire 2000 point army for like 200 bucks and so i was like eh, that's I'm amazing, amazing. Wow. paint this up and start yeah. playing this right now and so uh, I had to, like, fast-track my learning, so I immediately went to everyone who I knew was playing the army at a high level, and Jason was the first person I hit up to try and get insight on how to run this army. Yeah, well, you're doing a good job. Keep going with it, man. I appreciate it. One of my favorite things was uh, Jason hit me up and was like, so I just want to make sure uh, <laughs> Sergio uses his wife's account, right? <laughs> it was pretty funny. Pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, see, it's weird yeah. because I'm a weird guy on Facebook. Like, I don't accept friend requests unless I like absolutely know who you are. Yep. And so, yeah, anyways, it was a fun experience. <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt. What about you? What got you into you? You talked about uh, being into you know 40k a little bit when you were younger. Yeah. So, um, I uh, when I was in freshman in high school back in the. Uh, God, I'm going to age myself here, but back in the uh, very late 90s and the early 2000s, I uh, uh, befriended a, um, um, a group of guys that were into video games, and one of them sort of introduced me to, to Warhammer um, 40K at the time, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. It was so foreign to me. I had never been exposed to D&D or miniatures at all, and I just, I really loved it. I, I jumped in with, you know, feet first and just never looked back, um, and uh, had a lot of fun with 40k played a lot of third edition um a lot of fourth edition um and right around when fifth edition 40k came around is when i kind of went to college and sort of maybe like a lot of gamers sort of lost touch with the hobby for quite a while put all my stuff in you know in the attic and then um as i uh you know emerged from you know and, and then as a you know uh, um sort of a 20 something with, uh, with getting to know jobs and starting a family and everything, I kind of picked it up again. And, um, 40k really wasn't, um, 40k really wasn't for me at the time. It was like right when the, the new, the seventh or the transition to eighth edition, which is a huge, um, change in the, how the core rule set works. So, um, you know, I'd always been interested in sort of Warhammer fantasy battles. And so I figured this would be a good time to jump in because to to, in my opinion, the models on the fantasy side, the Age of Sigmar um, range of uh, um, Games Workshop are just fantastic. And, you know, something in me wanted to play chainmail, swords, and magic, and less like guns and plasma and stuff like that. You know, sport is sci fi. So I definitely jumped into Age of Sigmar. And um, uh, uh, for your, you know, I, I'm a uh, professional artist. Arborist, so I definitely, you know, like a um, naturalist, and so I definitely um, gravitated towards um, the Nurgle range because it definitely had a very um, 
sort of gardeny horticultural feel to it, um, which really just drew me in. So, and I definitely leaned into that for my, for my sort of army theming and paint style. So, um, I've been doing Age of Sigmar since right before the General's Handbook came out. Um, so what is that? Like now three going on four years now. And yeah. for, the last, for the last two years, I'd say I've been really enjoying competitive play. Um, kind of like Sergio said, just going to events is great. You start seeing the same people over and, you know, uh, um, you know just over and over again at these events and, and really just having a sense of camaraderie and a sense of community. And you start to realize what mm-hmm. this is what this hobby is really about which is the people that play it the, of course the models are there as a vehicle or a vessel for us to to meet people that are just sort of similar and of the same ilk as us so um really enjoy going to the events and then uh, again something sergio touched on i you know i started taking the itc um kind of you know really seriously because it's you know a lot of people wonder oh well it's just you know uh you know breed sort of you know, really stiff competition and maybe people who are just in it to win it at all costs. But really, like, it's when it comes down to it, the way that I view the ITC is it's not about proving that I'm better than somebody else, but it's about proving to myself that I can be better at whatever I'm doing, in in this case, Age of Sigmar. And it's sort of like a rank, it's like a rankings ladder for myself and less about, like, where I am in relation to other people. You know, it's interesting that you kind of brought up sort of, I think you touched on culture a little bit within Age of Sigmar, right? And um, I've never played 40K. I I got into the hobby, actually. I got into Age of Sigmar actually through the models. I needed some models for my um, uh, RPG campaign I was running. And so I picked up some um, Slaves to Darkness, right? And I started painting those. And then I saw the night hunt and I'm like, oh, I really want to paint those. And painting for me was like a Zen moment, right? Like I don't really watch TV when I paint. Like I get on, I turn on some music, I focus on like in my little corner and I just like relax from the rest, from everything that happened during the day. Right. And as I was painting the models, I said, man, this would be a lot of fun to actually play with these, I think. And that's when Jason and I kind of got together and started um, play in Age of Sigmar about a year and a half ago. But one of the things that um, you touched on, Matt, and I think even a little bit Sergio, is the culture within um, the community. And, you know, both of you said, I really like going to the tournaments because I love meeting the people there. Um, I've been to tournaments like sports tournaments or other game tournaments or um, competition shooting tournaments, things like that. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a community that's as friendly as the Age of Sigmar community overall. I mean, you know, you you play against each other and you're trying to bash each other's brains in on the table, but there's a there's just kind of a general esprit de corps, I think, a, a nice like friendliness that exists within the whole scene pretty much. What, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, what I think is it's different from other sort of competition settings um, and maybe even like the esports community where there's a, a lot of competition and like maybe even a little bit of a toxicity element is that like we we're playing this incredibly like niche hobby with, you know, not only are some people invested in like painting miniatures, which is I would say like maybe sort of a, a niche hobby, but also like the game of playing 
you know, it's, I was actually at dinner today with a, an old friend I haven't seen in quite a long time and his girlfriend. And, you know, I, he was exposed to me when I was playing Warhammer like 10 years ago. And, and she was asking me like, Oh, so like, well, what is it? And I'm like, man, how do you describe this to somebody who has yeah. no frame of reference? Like they might know what dungeons and dragons is like barely maybe from stranger things. And they know you have like a mo- but like, how do you explain this to somebody? And the blanks, the, sometimes the blank stares, like, and I'm like, okay, well, like, it's just, you know, it's like a, a super nerdy hobby, but like, you, it's so niche that like, you know, each other when you're in a big group, like you already have that sort of like common bond. And from there, you know, it's just about building on that. And when you see the same people and you have a couple beers or whatever, um, at these events, like you really start to develop some really great friendships. Yeah, I always have to describe it as like, like chess on steroids is the best way that I can put it, because you know every piece has its own individual movement, stat line, mm-hmm. um, yeah, abilities. Um, I tried to but... tell him that it was like kind of like chess, like a really complex game of chess that sort of crossed with Risk to try to bring in that sort of like board feel to it. But it, that's exactly what I thought, Sergio. Yeah. 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 And um, so I've, I actually had never played any RPGs before until recently. I, one of the guys that I met from age of Sigmar, um, he invited me to do a Pathfinder campaign and that was the first time I'd ever done that. And so that was really outside of my comfort zone to role play and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So, but, um, so, what did you think of of it? Uh, getting into that RPG foray, how was it? How did it go for you? It was really fun. Um, he was like, "Do a backstory," and I wrote like, I don't know, like my whole life, and he, <laughs> I was like, "Did I did I do enough?" <laughs> did like, I do enough? <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." Your parents are yeah, still alive. Oh wow, that's yeah. that's unique. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and um, so it was a lot of fun doing it th- with them. Um. And we used miniatures, but uh, I didn't. I actually liked it more for the role playing and less for the mm-hmm. um, what do they call like it? the mechanics you know, the, of fighting. The mechan- I didn't, I didn't like the combat mechanics very much, and uh, trying to min max and all that stuff. Because I was yeah. like, all right, I can either choose to be a good role player, or I could choose to be, or I'm in the garbage at combat, or you know, I don't know. It was yeah. weird, but I, I guess I, I guess I started this tangent because, um. One in the in one of the local groups, there was a guy named Brian who was doing narrative campaigns um, or narrative events as well, and so he brought a lot of the role playing elements into oh, very uh, cool. one one's day's worth of um, of AOS gaming, and so you know he'd lay out a storyline and you'd be on different teams and however your guys uh, battle unfolded would. Um, you know, change the course of the entire day. And he did two-day events, he did single-day events, and um, that was a ton of fun as well. So I just feel like Age of Sigmar has a little bit of something for everyone uh, if if that's what you'd rather do instead of just, you know, playing one-off battles with people at tournaments or just, you know. But uh, there are plenty of narrative campaigns as well and the narrative events that happen that are just a, a ton of fun. Uh, there are less now in the area since he retired, but... <laughs> The yes. narrative at the Nova Open is huge, and people go it there to play out. the. 
Yeah, they play. They they go there. They're like, you know, forget the GT or the RT or any of these. Like, really, they're like, I want to play in the narrative, and that's what they go. That's their main draw. It's like full day for like three days. It's crazy. Um, and 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 Sergio, thank you for bringing this up. Like, one of the things that I didn't realize, like I said, I'm I'm relatively new to war gaming, not just Warhammer, right? Um, one of the things that I realized when I started getting in is that there's different levels of um, competition, I guess, like depending on what you said, like you said, your comfort level, right? So if you want to be super competitive, and I would argue that the four of us have that competitive spirit in us that we want to, you know, try to push ourselves and see how well we can do and that type of thing. So we'll go out and we'll find, you know, tough competition tournaments to, to play in, and they're a ton of fun. But if that's really not your style, um, you can go to a local gaming store and find a friend and just play kind of a easy, easy list and easy army, something fun, something interesting. Um, it doesn't matter like, uh, you know, how competitive it is or, you know, or you can like, uh, Sergio mentioned, there's a narrative stuff that's out there. There's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, and a lot of it's based around the game stores. Um, that you can kind of get engaged in wargaming without having to be, you know, this, like I've got a 2,000-point army that's going to try to beat everybody over a five-game tournament type of thing. Yeah, I feel like um, what's something that's unique about Age of Sigmar and tabletop gaming is that, well, I didn't see it a lot when I was playing in our Pathfinder campaign, is that if you go to a store that has good terrain, like really nice terrain, you can really get into the whole you know the actual narrative of the battle that's going on um and i think i do think that's unique to other games that you don't see you know at the narrative uh, event for nova they had built i mean it must have been like a 12 i don't know maybe it's, maybe i'm exaggerating but it looked like a 10 foot long wall oh and, yeah you're right and some guys were defending the castle and then your the other army had to you know siege it and there were mechanics to break the walls down and i mean it just looked crazy fun uh, so I, it, I do think terrain yeah. adds another element uh immersive element that you know you i don't you just don't get in other places and well-painted armies too like when you oh, look certainly. at your well-painted army like you know you get into it and or even like, just wow. a fully painted army, like even if right. you're not the greatest painter, but the time, the dedication, the determination and persistence that it takes to sometimes like power through that like 40 man unit of like chaff or basic troops. Like, you know, it's um, it, it, it really like there it's um, something to to everybody should be proud of, whether you're like getting a best painted nominations or, you know, you just have a fully painted and based army. So if I were a brand new player and I asked you over dinner, you know, we're having dinner with friends type of thing. And I was like, oh, cool. This Warhammer thing. Um, chess on steroids. That sounds like it might be fun. Where would you guys tell me to start? How, how should I get started? Well, right now, uh, the, you know, the game, they have multiple ways of you know, sort of introduction with either Warcry or um, Shadespire. So it depends on, uh, you know, is this person completely, as I call it, non-hobby? Are they, like, completely green to miniatures in general? Um, you know, or do they have some experience with some other miniatures or some other sort of hobby aspects, RPG or kind of nerd stuff, right? So, like, but if... Yeah. 
yeah, so it really depends there. But Shadespire um, having really cool, interesting miniatures, you only need you know a handful of them. So it's really you don't want to scare scare them off, right? Like like the like the movie Swingers. Like you you know you're just a big these big fangs and these big claws, and you know you don't want to you don't want to scare them off. So you, you know Shadespire is a great way to to get into it. Or um, you know, and if they're a board gamer the the hex system is going to be you know sort of familiar to them so that might be great and then also warcry i haven't really played any warcry but i've heard great things about its mechanics which maybe seems a little bit more of a graduated level from shadespire in terms of like less card simple sort of basic principles to more like you know more probabilistic more dice rolls more sort of complex mechanics yeah i was going to suggest the same thing uh, shadespire or Underworlds, I, I can't remember the official name, but it's, uh, it's. I, I'd feel like that'd be somebody that would had been playing uh, Magic the Gathering. I'd yeah, push him in that totally. direction because it's a, it's a deck building, it's a deck building game from the way it's been described to me. That you know the miniatures are there totally. and you move them around, Good but call. it's definitely a deck building awesome game. Deal. And then um, Warcry, I haven't played it as well, but it looks like a ton of fun. And you know if you ask, and it only takes like. You know, what like three or four miniatures, and you can start playing Warcry, and it's super, it's fast. Uh, you only need a small amount of miniatures and some cards, and you're good. And somebody else that knows how to play the game, and you're good to go. You mean you guys have said you guys played in like half an hour? Well, I played against uh, Jason, so it was like an hour. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, yeah, I love Warcry. It is a lot of fun. It, it's anywhere from you know I think five to eleven minis. Yeah, I think on it depends average, on the, but... it depends on the army. Like yep. orcs are only like four or five minis because they're huge, right? But like uh, my night haunt are like I got a ton of little guys, right? So, um, yeah, it just depends. The other but... cool thing about Warcry is that you can build warbands from the exact same models you can put on the table for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, exactly. So that is definitely a step into the broader wargaming of you know age of sigmar um that's a good step Ser- and yeah sergio you you make a good point too it's uh it's uh you're right it's underworlds and shade spire was like the first season and then um beast grave is the current season they do sort of like a season by season uh theme or different decks and stuff like that so good call it's a uh, warhammer underworlds and the current season is beast grave and it's cool because you can use those warbands in your underworlds game but then you know you can bring them over to your age of sigma armies too mm-hmm. so it's not like a total yeah. waste of if you don't you know if you graduate quote unquote or whatever you can use them in your age of sigmar games so one one of the things i would do is somebody's really interested in getting into like actual um age of sigmar you know they say no no, no i want i want to play the tabletop war game i want um I would have them come immediately into a game store and either find a friend who has an army or now that I've got two armies, I would bring two armies and I'd say, let's just play a little test game, 500 points, just so you could get a feel of it. And then we can look at the shelf and see what, what kind of army interests you, you know, like what, what are the models that interest you Um, and kind of go from there. Uh, cause I feel like, I feel like hands-on is always sort of the best way to go to explain how this works and, and what we're doing. Um, and you know, if you can walk someone through that has like, you know, even a 500 point game played on like a two by two square or something like that, where you've got three or four models and, you know, 
you're you're kind of doing that kind of stuff. I think that that's uh, an easy easy beginning. I, I've done intro games before too, and I yeah, you you definitely get like stick around the five hundred point mark, but I try not to even like bring in the more really the advanced rules. And again, it really depends right. person's experience. But like you know, if you're talking about like you know, even if you have five hundred points, sometimes the 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 rules can be pretty complex. So like you know, maybe some basic command abilities or some basic magic but you know even but some of the more advanced rules can even again just kind of scare off a new person into thinking that it's you know something that either they're either not into or you know my wife has told me that this game can be kind of intimidating to somebody who doesn't really um you know kind of can't visualize it and they you know so you know it's just about knowing your audience when you're running an intro game like that for sure Jason I and I... Oh, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, I remember years ago when I walked into a games workshop store and was like, hey, what's this all about? And uh, I saw the Space Marines, you know, and I was like, this looks kind of cool. And the guy said, let me give you a quick demo. And at that point, you know, when they were doing their demos, it was literally like a... Gosh, it was like a foot-by-foot foot little board that was up on the edge of the counter. And there were like, there was a unit of five space marines on either side. He was like, all right, so let's play this game. And, and I remember he was like, so what do you want to do? I was like, well, I guess shoot. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So he rolled these dice. I rolled the dice. Um, we added up the numbers. And, you know, I killed like three of his guys. And then he shot back and killed three of my guys. And he was like, that's basically the game. And I was like, man, that's, that's simple. It's fun. I love it. And so I bought a starter kit. I went and play, started assembling it and modeling it, and then I opened the real rule book and started reading it and going, wait, this is not the game that I played at the game store because the rules were so much more complicated than just roll the dice um, and, and see if you got fives or sixes kind of a thing. That's but, how they got you. Yeah, but that's how they got me. And so I guess the point was is I didn't – I, at first I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really intimidating. But then I met another friend that was like, don't worry about it, man. We'll just, you know, we'll just play and we'll add rules as we get a little more comfortable with the system. And playing slow grows at game stores um, are, I think, are really fun and yeah. can help too. Especially when you're playing with other people who are like, hey, don't worry about all the rules. It's cool. We're not even going to throw terrain in right now. You know, we're just going to, we're just going to get the, we're going to understand how you move your piece across the board. And I think once you start to understand, hey, that the, the pieces have a little bit of a unique flavor. This guy moves seven inches. This guy only moves four. This guy moves 12 because he's got wings. This guy you, flies. Yeah, yeah. And you start to kind of see the fantasy aspect and you start to get a little bit a little bit more of the immersion um, in it. Well, why does that guy move 12? It's because he's a giant dragon, you know? Or why does that guy only move four? It's because he's a little dwarf. And so the things like that, I, I thought it was... It was a really cool way to get in, like you were saying there, just one rule at a time. When uh, when Jason and I started, we both had, I had uh, the Soul Wars side of Night Hunt, which was basically a start collecting box for Night Hunt, right? It had a smattering of models, hardly any enough to like make an actual unit, you know? And Jason had, uh, you had start collecting Flesh Eater cords, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking that the two boxes probably added up somewhere between 750 and a thousand points maybe yeah. maybe you know how long did our first game take oh it was like four and a half hours four and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> you're like all right your turn okay i'm gonna move uh yeah 
Yeah, how do we move? Uh, what does this guy do again? Oh, wait. No, 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 no. I, I forgot that rule. Can I move him back? You know, and I mean, we that were sounds just... like me at tournaments today. Oh, yeah, yeah. dude. We were, we were muddling <laughs> through it. It was, it was really, it was really funny. And, you know, it took us like two or three games before we're like, okay, all right, we got, we got the feel of it. Right. And then we joined the Slow Girl campaign. And, um, and then that's when I started learning, like, I need to memorize my rules mm-hmm. for my army. And once I started memorizing the rules, that's when things really started click. The advanced stuff started clicking, you know. And, so and and Sergio, feel free to to jump in here because I think you'll you'll agree with me. What I'm gonna say is like like even when we're me and you are playing as you know, I would say like advanced players where we're going to tournaments and we're in the ITC and we're having you know success relative to our goals. And, you know, me and you both being, you know, uh, top tier players in the ITC, like, I have no problems playing a person who is new to the hobby or maybe new to the scale we're used to, the 2,000 points um, scale, and, and saying, like, hey, you know, I, I, you don't have to bring your, like, tournament crushing list every time. You can just be like, yeah, I don't mind taking it easy and, you know, just let's, let's like, um, go through a, a, a bigger game or if, you know, just however, and, you know, it's not... A, it's it's just having that conversation with your opponent like hey i'm uh somewhat new to this size or new to this game you know or i'm coming over from 40k and you know just having that conversation and having you know setting expectations before the game yeah i, I completely agree that it's well that's what makes it a little more unique is that it's it's a social game right like you have to stand across from who you're playing for an hour or so and you know you have to make sure they have a good time and you have a yeah. good time as well and so yeah. you know you set expectations for the game if they're a new player you know you to grant take backs and all kinds do you do whatever you want to you know what i mean like there's no there's no being stiff about it or anything like that um and you can have a ton of fun that way at this last rtt um i'd probably say my funnest game was my last game and uh, it was a guy that had been part, it was Mike Melody who had finished off the Slow Grow campaign. And um, he was just full of energy and, you know, laughing the whole time and, you know, sizing up every dice roll. And so it, you know, it, the energy's contagious. And so I just had a great time playing with him. And you know, he, he was a really good player uh, nonetheless. But, uh, but yeah, it's. It, it's 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 just the social aspect of the game is what's great about it. You have it. to interact with your uh, your opponent. Yes, yes, yes. And you know, I think that this is why um, I have started taking to war gaming more than I thought I would. Um, you know, there's the competition. So I am a competitive person by nature. Uh, you know, I like to compete, um, and so this does scratch an itch that I that I generally have. But also, I like other people. I like hanging out with people. And, you know, while you're doing an RPG, it's fun and everything. And usually it's, you know, the the DM is kind of walking you guys through a scenario. So he's acting, right? And then you guys get to the scene and then you need to act together. You need to role play whatever's going on. But usually it's still one at a time. And, I mean, it's it's still a lot of give and take that you have to do with your other players. Um but I don't know. It's it's a little bit different when you're sitting across from someone, you know, in a competitive game or even a friendly game, and you're having a good time, and you know, you you're gonna go get a drink afterwards together and laugh about the game and talk about all the stuff that you forgot to do, 
you know, and, and, you know, how your opponent completely trounced you and, you know, laugh about it. Um, and you know, that's Justin, really that, unique. That brings up a good point. And Sergio touched on this too, which I completely agree with where, you know, you have an obligation as an opponent to provide a positive play experience mm-hmm. for yeah. the other person, whether you are getting completely smashed or you are doing the smashing, like right. you, you have an uh, either way, you have a, a you have an obligation as just you know a decent person and a person that's part of this community to provide a positive play experience. If you're just getting your teeth kicked in, you kind of just you know it, it it's hard, but sometimes it can be hard, especially in a competitive tournament. But it's your responsibility to sort of smile and you know and and sort of you know laugh it off if you can, or just not be a jerk about it. Like everybody gets just you know totally owned sometimes and if you're doing the owning then you can't rub it in and just you know sort of being a sore winner or being a sore loser you know it's you have that obligation as part of this social sort of contract that we sign into by you know everybody spends a lot of time money and energy in these models and then everybody wants to have a good time at the at the table so yeah it is a like it's a really unique game that we play because i remember like explaining it to my wife's sister and her friend, and they seeing me. When they saw me when I got the starter set, and I painted through like forty ghoul. I painted forty ghouls, and I was really proud of myself. And they're like, "Okay, cool. You finished these forty models. Now what?" And I was like, "All right. Well, I have to paint the heroes, and I got to paint the elite in it." They're like, "Okay. So after you're done painting, then you can play the game." I'm like, yeah, six months into this, and I can go play the game. Yeah. And they're like, so you bought this expensive set. You're going to paint it off with expensive paints. And then finally you get to go play, and you'll probably lose because you're just beginning. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's, that's kind of how this is going. But uh, it's, so it's going to be a lot of fun, I promise. <laughs> like, yeah, just wait. It's coming. The fun is coming. Yeah. I guess you could use like dollar store or like craft store paint if you wanted to. You don't have to use the expensive paint. <laughs> you could. I definitely started off with the uh, apple cart from Target. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I went and bought a, a bunch of, of those. And, yeah. The app, yeah, I've got a bunch of those on my shelf. I use them for terrain now at this point. Oh, totally. And display boards and stuff. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so they don't go to waste, but you know that's something that's part. That's a, a, a real quick. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not right. like just hogging, but like uh, um, I I did a really um, uh, well. I wouldn't even say really because some display boards that people bring are just absolutely insane. But like this is Explain definitely what a display board is, Matt. Okay, good good point, Sergio. So a display board is um, something. It's like a diorama that you build that sort of tells the story that your miniatures are trying to explain, but you know, the surrounding scenery. So for example, if you have, we're playing Sylvaneth, the, the uh, living forest army, the living trees, you might make like sort of a forested diorama on like maybe a two by two or a one by two sort of um, board. So you can tell the story of your army um, in a little bit more detail than just the bases of the models. And so, like, that was a lot of fun watching terrain videos, you know, doing stuff. And I even got my, my six-year-old daughter involved. Like, she helped me with, like, using the, the filling in the cracks with the, with the filler. And she didn't really understand what it was, but she kept seeing me work on it little by little and sort of, like, have a plan, have a, a goal in mind, and then see, th- 
to the end of it, which was really cool. And so I, and I think James O'Brien, a a local out here, he did this crazy display board where he had like, um, uh, he plays the Skaven and they, they are like, uh, you know, addicted to this like warp stone, which is this sort of like, like radioactive for lack of a better term, like energy magic filled stone. And it's sort of in the war, it's like vibrant, green and so he had this like he had this like a margarita mix in his display this margarita that you could you know that was in part of his display board that you could take a drink from but it was like this like liquefied like lake of of warp it was so cool like people i have some really i have a really really neat idea i like i said i'm not trying to, to to hog it all but i came up with this really neat thing i'm gonna pull off i hope so for this this season so I think that um, you have brought both of you, Sergio and Matt, have brought up some awesome topics for our Age of Sigmar series that um, I think we're going to totally get into. We want to talk about some more of the hobby stuff. I think even an episode on display boards and how to create them, and you know, ideas that you could have and thematic stuff. That's going to be awesome. I think that uh, we can dive into the ITC and the pros and cons of like hard competition that, you know, it has on the game itself. Um, I want to get into a lot of these things. We're hitting about an hour right now, so I think we're going to wrap it up for the day. But um, just for our listeners, realize that this is just the beginning. We want to do this little bit of a primer on Age of Sigmar and explain our passion for this game and get into it um, a little bit more in depth in the next um, several weeks and months. So um, thank you so much, Sergio and Matt, for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was great. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to have you. And uh, for Jason and myself, um, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Have a good night. Bye.